And we are in 1 Peter chapter 4 as we continue through the book of 1 Peter. All right, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for who you are as our our dad, our Abba Father. And we come before you in in gratitude and in thanksgiving. We thank you that eternity is sure, that your presence is real, that your promises are faithful. And God, would you take your word and would you illuminate it into our hearts and our lives? God, would you give us hope? Would you give us a mindset that glorifies you? So would you bless our time together, and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. When you hear the phrase, the end is near, what emotion does that bring in you? When you think the end is near, okay. Uh, Some of you got really excited. Some of you I saw a fearful face. So it brings out either fear and trepidation or rejoicing, doesn't it? But when we look at the fact that Peter writes in our text, and he says, the end is near. So in light of that, this is who we ought to be. And it's some almost 2,000 years later, how much closer are we to the end? If Peter felt like the end is near, how much more so should we feel like the end is near? So why does it produce fear? Because the Bible does talk about hard times leading up to the second coming of Jesus Christ, the signs of the times. And so, so that brings some fear uh, to our hearts. But if we're closer to the Lord's return of him setting all things right, it causes huge excitement in our hearts and our lives. If you think if you're at the end of a semester and you're about ready to, to graduate, you're like, the end is near. Your senior year of high school, your, your senior year of college— If you're running a race, you're running a marathon, you're running a a half marathon, and you know I've only got two miles left, the end is near. It causes great anticipation in your heart and your life. And, And I want you to understand that the Bible ends on an exclamation point. There's no question who wins. It's no question who's victorious. Christ returns and he rules and reigns and sets all things right. There's a thousand years where... He rules and reigns, and then this earth is is melted away, and there's a new heaven, and there's a new earth. For us personally as believers, we have an expectation that the end is good. We know that in this life, there's suffering. It may end up where we get to see the second coming of Christ, or we go home to be with the Lord through death, but our end is certain. So when we think about the end is near, it should bring comfort to our hearts. It should bring excitement to our hearts. We need to remember as we read 1 Peter, these believers that are receiving the letter for the first time are going through persecution. They're going through tribulation to the point where they're dispersed. They have to leave their homes. They've lost loved ones all for the cause of Christ Peter is writing these things to encourage them and to bring hope into their hearts and lives. So verse 1 of chapter 4, Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh. You know, anytime we see the word therefore, it takes us to the previous thought, to the previous paragraph. It's been a few weeks since we were in chapter 3, but the end of chapter 3 was all about the suffering of Christ. 
All that Christ went through to accomplish our redemption, to accomplish our salvation. In light of his suffering, in light of the fact that Christ suffered in the flesh. And Peter emphasizes this, that Christ's suffering was was in the flesh. Jesus took on flesh, was born in a manger, worked hard as a carpenter. In his life, he experienced rejection from his family, his friends, the religious community. Everywhere he turned, Christ received rejection to the point that he went then to the cross, took our sins upon himself, and his flesh was pierced. His body was pierced. He knows physical pain. His back was whipped. The thorns were placed into his head. For the joy that was set before him, he despised the shame. So he was looking forward to the joy of our redemption and being reunited with the Father, but he despised the shame. It wasn't comfortable. It was, it was difficult. It was in the flesh. God knows suffering. God took on human flesh. He knows the human experience and the suffering that comes with it. Isaiah 53 describes Jesus as a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. There's no sorrow that we bear that he hasn't bore in a greater capacity. So in light of Christ's suffering, arm yourselves also with the same mind. If you're taking notes or thinking things through with me tonight, there's five things. In light of the fact that the end is near, we need to think offensively. Think offensively. That's number one, to arm yourself with this same mind that was in Christ. That's an interesting phrase to think about arming yourself. It's clearly go on the offensive with weapons. Make sure that you're armed, but it's your mind. It's your mind that is going to be armed. It's your mind that is ready for the offensive, and it's a mind that's prepared to suffer. Arm yourself with the same mind as Christ. Christ came into this world with the perspective of, I'm going to suffer. This is going to be hard. I'm going to lay my life down upon the cross. I'm going to experience rejection throughout my life. And he entered into that. And he prepared himself mentally for that suffering. Peter, writing to believers that are persecuted that are being killed for their faith in Christ, he says, arm yourself with this mind to suffer. This is something we're not very good at. <laughs> we live in a Disney culture, don't we? We have this expectation that my life really shouldn't have suffering. My life should not be difficult. And especially a loving God shouldn't allow suffering in my life. He shouldn't allow difficulty in my life. I mean, isn't God Papa Disney? Isn't, isn't he going to make fairy tale endings where everything just works out in this picture perfect way in my life? In some ways, yes. In eternity, yes. In heaven, absolutely. But not necessarily in this life. In this life, there's going to be persecution. In this life, all who are godly will suffer persecution. We can expect that there is going to be suffering because of the futility of this world. What do I mean? We live in a fallen world, don't we? We live in a world where there's sin. And because of that, there's a lot of ramifications. And rain falls on the just and the unjust. Cars break down because we're in a fall, fallen world. 
bodies break down because we're in a fallen world. The outward man is perishing. That is just simply part of this existence because of sin. But then also there is the suffering that comes by saying, I'm living for Christ. There would have been some, no doubt at this time, that says, man, it's just too hard to be a believer. It's too hard to follow Christ. It may cost me my life, so I'm going to denounce my faith. But then there were others that said, Christ is everything. He's my Lord. He's my, my Savior. I'm not going to denounce Christ. I'm going to be faithful to Christ. And it cost them their lives. And Paul says, you've got to arm your mind. You've got to prepare your mind for this type of of suffering. Why does the mind need to be offensive? Because the battle's won and lost in the mind, isn't it? Once our mind is defeated, everything else goes along with it. But if our mind can stay strong in the Lord and have that same mind as Christ, then victory comes. So you may be asking, I'm considering, how do I arm my mind? How do I think offensively? How do I have a mind that's actually a weapon? And memorize scripture. Memorize scripture, especially in regards to suffering. There's so many promises that God gives to us when it comes to suffering of what is happening in our lives through the pain that we go through. If we can memorize those scriptures, we're arming ourselves offensively. One example of that is in Romans chapter 5 to glory in tribulation. Because tribulation produces perseverance and character and hope. And hope doesn't disappoint. But allows the love of God to be shed abroad in our hearts. God's building me up through the suffering that is taking place. Philippians chapter 3. That suffering provides the opportunity to fellowship with Christ. In his sufferings. Okay, I'm going to allow my thoughts to be focused on what Jesus has gone through for me and understand what he has done for me in a greater way. To come to the Father, the Father of mercies, to come to his arms, into his loving care, to experience the comfort that he alone can give. That's thinking offensively. But if we're not careful, what happens is we allow ourselves to be in the exact opposite pattern of thinking, huh? There's no point. There's no point in this suffering. Where is God in this suffering? How could a loving God allow me to be persecuted for my faith in Christ? How come my earthly life is more difficult now than I'm following Christ when, when I didn't want anything to do with Christ? But deep down we know, man, it's so worth it to follow Christ. But if we're not careful, we can really get to this place where we're stumbling in our thoughts. This is especially applicable right now, right? We don't know how long the trial of COVID is going to last. We, we don't know what this is going to result in the world's attitude towards, towards Christians. But we can't allow fear to get the best of us. We've got to allow our minds to be set upon the Lord and to think offensively. Arm yourself. Arm yourself with the mind of Christ. We go on in verse 1. For he who suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. This is not saying that if you're suffering for righteous snake, you're no longer a sinner. Because we're going to be sinners till we go home to be with the Lord. 
But as we'll read in the next few verses, if you are following Christ and you're suffering, you're not suffering for sin. You're not suffering for rebellion to God. And it's better to suffer in righteousness sake than to be suffering in disobedience. In verse 2, that no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but the will of God. If the end is near, if we're closer to the rapture of the church than we've ever been before, if our lives personally are closer to going home to be with the Lord than ever before, with the amount of time that we have left, shouldn't we use it on the will of God instead of on sinful living? Absolutely, right? So this should spur us on with the end being near to daily say, God, I just want to live in your will. I want to be thankful. I want to be available, like we just sang. I want my life to honor and glorify you. How do we get to the place where a lifetime is made up? It's by daily choices, isn't it? That's how a lifetime is made up. It's daily saying, God, I want to be about your will. No matter how long you've known Jesus, no matter how long we've walked with the Lord, we get to daily choose. And it's a daily battle. Okay, I got a new day today, and I can either choose to serve myself and all my lusts, or I can choose to serve God. I can choose to say yes to the will of God in my life. But we don't have that much time left. We don't know when we're going to cross the finish line. That's what's so interesting about our lives. We anticipate that we're going to be 70, 80, 85 years old. We don't know that. We could be a lot closer to the finish than we realize, right? God's the one who has our, our days numbered. For we've spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. Peter's saying, look at your life before you knew Christ your Savior. You spent enough time in sinful living. Why would you want to go back there? So this also helps us to understand there is always that temptation to go back to things that God has pulled us out of. There's that flesh over our shoulders, Satan over our shoulder, saying, oh, you should return to that lust. You should return to that lewdness. You should return to that drunkenness. When God's got something that's entirely better for us, why would we go back? The proverb says that a fool is like a dog who returns to his vomit. Apparently, dogs in Solomon's day are just like dogs today. Imagine that. Dogs, and what do they do? What do they do? They go back and they eat it. They're like, dessert. This was good the first time. This is better the second time. Mm, this is so good. And all of us are just like, this is disgusting. If I can get someone to Ralph in this service, I've won the, <laughs> the victory. We don't want to be like a dog. That's the message of Solomon. It was bad the first time around. Why would we go back to it a, a second time? We need to remember it accurately. We need to remember it biblically from, from God's perspective. In regard to these things, they think it's strange that you do not run with them 
in the same flood of dis- dissipation speaking evil of you. Dissipation is wasteful living. So these friends that don't know Christ as their Savior, and they're like, why aren't you running with us anymore? But they're in this flood of destruction, in this flood of, of sinful living. They're being drowned in it, but then they can't understand, why aren't you doing this with us anymore? Why aren't you swimming in this flood of destruction any longer? Hey, if you have friends that don't understand why you're at Wednesday night Bible study, why you're worshiping on the the live stream, why you're not running in in the same crowd and they've rejected you, it's okay. It's all right. You be faithful to the Lord. You don't worry about it. Don't let that pull you down that they think it's strange that you're no longer running in this flood of wasteful living. Verse 5, they will give an account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. We're all going to give an account to the Lord. And what saves us is our faith in the blood of Jesus. But someone who doesn't know Christ as their Savior, that's looking down on you for following Christ, they continue to reject Christ, they're going to have to stand before the Lord. Verse 6, For this reason the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. So what does this verse mean? It appears that Peter's talking about those who died looking forward to the Messiah prior to Christ's death, that Jesus went and and preached to them the gospel. They couldn't yet be in the presence of God because Christ hadn't died for their sins. Not a second chance, but those Old Testament believers. Verse 7, but the end of all things is at hand. The end is near. Peter writes this. He pins this. The end is near. I believe that Peter believed it. Now he believed that the end was near. Peter got to witness the death, the burial, resurrection of Christ was there when Jesus ascended up to heaven on Mount Olives. They're just standing, looking up to heaven. Here comes an angel and says, guys, you've got work to do. In the same manner that Jesus went up, he's going to return. And they expected, man, Christ is going to come back. We don't know when he's going to come back, but he told us to watch. He told us to be ready. So we're looking for the soon return of Christ. Christ's teaching about his coming is that we should look for it with anticipation, and it's eminent that it could happen at any particular time. At any particular moment, Christ could return. Having this hope radically changes our lives. So we go, God could come back tonight. He could come back tomorrow morning. He could really wrap up this whole COVID thing, right? That's what I'm looking forward to, and that anticipation that Christ could return. So as we look at the study of end times, there's the rapture of the church where Jesus comes and takes the church up to forever be with the Lord. There's seven years of tribulation described in the book of Revelation, ending with the literal second coming of Jesus Christ, where he rules and reigns for a thousand years. Then it's a new heaven and a new earth. Really, the biggest question in eschatology is when is the rapture? And some look at a pre-tribulation rapture view, 
Some are mid-trib, some are post-trib. I personally think that we'll be raptured prior to the tribulation. But no matter the view, it's clear the church is going to be raptured and Jesus is going to come and he's going to return. Amen? And sometimes in that whole discussion, we lose sight of the fact that the point is Jesus is going to return. Jesus is going to wrap things up. There would be something missing if it wasn't for the second coming of Christ. We had the first coming where he's a suffering servant, but the second coming when he comes as the conquering king. So the end is at hand. And in light of the end being at hand, this is what we're exhorted to do. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. So number one, as we look at the end being near, is we want to be in a place where we think offensively, but number two, we want to pray seriously. Pray seriously. Be serious and watchful for your prayers. When we're serious about something, we're de- determined and we're diligent. If we get to that place where we're motivated to work out and we make it part of our lifestyle, you're, you're determined and you're diligent. There's intentionality that comes about it, Right? If you're, you're serious about a particular show that you really enjoy watching, right? When we get to that place where we're binge watching on Netflix, we become serious. Like we're determined and we're intentional. That, like this show has, has gotten my attention. And that's the message with prayer is that we would be serious about it and we would be watchful. There's an element of prayer where it awakens our spiritual senses. Jesus told the disciples in the Garden of Eden, hey guys, stay and pray with me. Peter, James, and John, pray with me. Watch and pray lest you fall into temptation. Your spirit is willing, but your flesh is is weak. Guys, you're going to be tempted spiritually, so you got to be in a place of prayer. And when we're in a place of prayer, of fellowship with God, it's easier to say no to sin. May we be reminded prayer is fellowship with God. It's spending time with God. Not simply a a checklist, but I want to be near to God. I'm going to be walking in fellowship with Him. Enjoying that relationship. The Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, enjoying this amazing fellowship. Three, but yet one. And then we're invited into fellowship with God. Something that's intimate and personal and heartfelt of, of God, this is my time with you. So what's a good time for you to meet with the Lord? Is it in the morning? Is it at night when you're falling asleep? Is it drive time when when you're driving? Going for a walk? Find what works for you, but commit that time to the Lord in prayer. One of the most amazing things about Christ's earthly life was his commitment to prayer. You'd think, hey, he's only got 33 years here on the earth. How's he going to spend his time? He's going to be doing ministry the whole time. But no, he was looking for opportunities to be alone with the Father. Many times before the sun arose, he was out spending time, time with the Father. I think if we lived and walked with Jesus and were a disciple, we'd be like, where'd the guru go? Where'd the teacher go? Where'd the master go? Where did Jesus go? Oh, he's off on some prayer walk, you know? He's off in some obscure place having fellowship uh, with the Father. That's how much he loved and enjoyed spending time with the Father. So praying seriously, being watchful in our prayers. 
In verse 8, And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Many of you know we're in a series on 1 Corinthians 13 on the weekends, looking at love, thus, thus the letters here. And here Paul, or excuse me, Peter, he writes, and he says, above all things, this, this has priority, have fervent love for one another, for love covers a, a multitude of sins. So number three is to love fervently, love fervently. In light of the fact that the end is near, <laughs> that Christ is going to return, that our lives are short, we're racing towards being home with the Lord. Well, what's important in our lives? It's to love fervently. What does this word fervently mean? It's, it's passionate and it's consistent. There's something about love where, where love should be passionate. It should be zealous. It should be contagious. If you really love something, it's not just like, well, I kind of like this. Like, no, I'm crazy about this. I love this. I love, I love this person. And our love for each other should be, should be fervent. There should be some heat there. There should be some passion there. Like, like, I love the body of Christ. Not just, well, I, I can tolerate the body of Christ. Well, some of them are okay. But no, man, I love the body because Jesus loves the body. And Jesus is into the body. And he died for the body. And I'm so thankful for this one another thing that we get to do. And I couldn't imagine doing this by myself. But love that's just passionate and it's not consistent is no good, right? We want a little of both. We want some fervent love that's also consistent. So our love for each other is, is passionate, but it's also consistent. We're going to be there for each other over the long haul. The expression of this fervent love is interesting. Love covers a multitude of sins, a whole bunch of sin, love, love covers, right? Because as we're in relationship with one another, sin is going to get discovered. Sin is going to get exposed. And when we see sin of another believer, how are we going to respond? And love says, I'm going to cover my brother in Christ. Not that I'm not going to pray for them, not that I'm not going to confront them privately in love, first considering my own sin, the log in my own eye before I go for the, the speck. But I'm not going to make their sin everybody's business. I'm not going to expose them. I'm not going to shame them. I'm going to pray for them and seek restoration. Noah was such an amazing man of God where he heard from the Lord and he started building this big old boat believing that God would be faithful to his word, that the flood was coming. He enlisted his boys, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. They're pounding nails, working, pounding nails. God brings the animals. Here comes the flood. They endure the flood. The waters finally recede. The ark hits dry ground. They get off. What a weird feeling that would be. It's just us. Noah, his wife, his three sons, their wives, and they begin to begin again. Noah plants a vineyard, gets some grapes, makes some wine, and gets drunk off his can. This great man of faith is drunk and he's naked. 
And here comes Ham, and he sees his dad drunk and naked, and he starts to laugh. He's like, this is so funny. Ham begins to ham it up. And he gets his two brothers, Shem and Japheth. You got to see this. You got to see this. Here's our dad who's walked in faith and trusted the Lord and built this ark, decided this afternoon to have too much wine, and now he, he's drunk. There was a decision that Ham made to expose his father's sin. Here comes Shem and Japheth, and they won't dare look on their dad's nakedness. What's that all about? It's a shame and honor culture. The Middle East is still the same way. If they would have seen their father's nakedness, they're shaming their father. They didn't want to shame their father. They wanted to honor their father. So they get a blanket, they get a towel, big old beach towel, right? Something that's going to cover dad. And they go backwards and make sure that they don't look on dad's nakedness and they cover his sin. They cover his nakedness. That's what love does. That's what fervent love does for one another to say, hey, this is going to be something I take before the Lord. This may be something that I confront you personally on because I love you and I care for you, but this is not something that I'm going to be spreading around. (laughs) I'm not going to expose your sin to the rest of the family. I'm not going to expose your sin to brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm going to be loyal to you in, in that way. In light of the fact that time is short, the end is near, love. Love fervently. That's what we're going to care about in eternity. Was I loving the Lord? Was I, was I loving people? That's a life well lived, the, a life that's filled with love, a life that's empowered by the Spirit. We can't do it on our own, allowing the Holy Spirit to impact us to be able to love one another. Verse 9, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Number 4, because the end is near, is share joyfully. To be hospitable is warm and generous and friendly. To see resources as belonging to God. They belong to God. And we get the privilege of being able to share those resources. So what resources has God put into your life? What time do you have to be able to share? What home do you have to be able to share? Is there a vehicle that you have to share? Is there some food that you have to to be able to share? My goodness, is there some toilet paper that you have that you're able to share, right? To be able to say, I want to be hospitable with what God has given me. To do it joyfully, not grumbling. There's nothing worse than a gift that comes with grumbling and complaining. Like someone gives you a gift and they're like, why did you invite me to your birthday party? I had to bring you a gift, right? You're like, man, just keep it. In fact, that's how God feels. When it comes to our tithes and offerings, he's not broke. He wants us to be a cheerful giver out of gratitude, not feeling like we have to give, but we get to give. And it's that same way in sharing in a hospitable way. It's not with grumbling. But if we're not careful, we can start to actually be resentful towards the fact that we're giving instead of being joyful over the fact that we're giving. Joyful giving really comes from the gospel. It's like, I'm forgiven? I'm forgiven freely? I'm forgiven completely? God gave his son for me? And out of that gratitude, I then get to give. I get to share. And there's such a blessing that comes in giving, isn't it? It's the God factor, when we're generous and when we give in any way, shape, or form, 
there's a joy that comes into our lives that follows giving. In verse 10, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. This is point number five. In light of the fact that the end is near, is serve effectively. Serve effectively. God's given you a gift. When Christ rose from the dead, he gave gifts to the body of Christ. When you were saved, you received spiritual gifts. There's gifts that are hardwired in you from birth. There's grace that God has given to be able to use those gifts. Unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor. So use those gifts, one another, to serve the body of Christ. We got to be a little bit creative right now because church looks differently. But as you seek the Lord and the Holy Spirit, how would God have you to serve other believers? We need it more than ever. We need it more than ever. So what's the Lord putting on your heart where you're saying, this is a way that I can encourage other believers and allow God to move through that. And I think out of that is going to come a lot of really God-ordained ministry. We have some examples of this, just two brief examples in verse 11. It's not in any way exhaustive. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies. This is preaching and teaching. If someone's going to preach and teach, may they declare the word of God. May they declare the oracles of God. Paul writes to Timothy and he says, preach the word. Preach the word. Timothy, your job is to declare the word of God. Also writing to Timothy, he says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And how we need the word of God right now. We need the word of God. We need pastors and teachers being faithful to the word. We need believers sharing the word of God with one another. If we're going to speak, let's speak the word of God. Let's not give our opinions, but let's give the word of God. Then he who ministers, the word ministers is just a fancy word for serves. If you serve, do it with the ability that God provides. We can attempt to serve the Lord in our own strength and our own ability. It doesn't work. Or we can receive God's power, his strength, his ability to be able to serve. Oftentimes, weakness is the portal that gets us from a place of depending upon our own strength to depend upon the power of God. And that's a blessing in weakness. Weakness forces us to have to rely upon the Lord, the ability that he can provide. So here's the purpose. Here's the cause statement at the end. That in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. So may God be glorified through Jesus Christ. In light of the fact that the end is near, we want Jesus to be glorified. For serving through God's power, it should be for his glory. We don't ever want to get our wires crossed there. We don't ever want to touch the glory of God. Be very careful to point people to the glory of God. Man, let's try to process this a little bit in the last few minutes. What if you knew it was the fourth quarter? It's the fourth quarter. There's just a few minutes left. It's like, man, I'm going to give it everything I got. It's the fourth quarter. 
Remember when we used to have sporting events? You guys remember what the fourth quarter is, right? You know it's the final exam. This is it. I'm never taking this class again. I'm never going to look into chemistry again either, but it's the last time, right? It's my final test. I'm going to give it everything I've got. What if somehow you kind of knew like, hey, I got one year left. August 1st, 2021, I'm going to be home with the Lord. God doesn't often work that way. But what if you knew that? How different would this year be? How non-worried would you be about the COVID virus? I got one year. I know I'm going to make it to August 1st, 2021. What am I going to do with the, with the 12 months that, that I have left? The end is near. Jesus is coming back. Again, no one knows the day or the hour. God doesn't work like this. But what if you did know? Hey, at this point in time, Jesus is going to come back. How would that then affect our lives? And so we're living in this hope. Here's these believers that are getting persecuted, that are leaving their homes, and Christians are dying, but they're moving forward going, the end's near. I know Jesus is going to return. He's going to set this right. Those people that are persecuting us are going to be held accountable. I'm going to forever be with the Lord. Forever. Try to take our lives in glimpse of eternity. This life is temporary. This life is fleeting. And whatever suffering that we're going through, it's so quick. It's so, it's so momentary compared to forever being with the Lord. But there's action to take. The scriptures exhorting us to take action. Be careful how you think. Think offensively. Be armed with the same arm of Christ. Don't be surprised when a trial comes. Don't be surprised when persecution comes. Okay, Christ suffered in the flesh. There's going to be suffering in my life as well. Action to take. Pray seriously. Lord, I want to go deeper in my prayer life. I'm going to set aside this time to be prayerful and to be watchful. Man, the enemy wants to rip us off. He really does. And that's why we've got to be watchful in prayer. A buddy of mine sent me a, a video a couple weeks ago. He says, check this out. It's from my home security system. Played the video, and you got this guy all walking up, middle of the night, like just totally all gangster, up to his car, and tries to break into the car. But my friend had a little alarm on his car, so the alarm chirped, and this, this guy got scared and ran across the street and literally broke into the neighbor's car that didn't have an alarm, right? You could all see it on the, the footage, and I just thought, you know, that's Satan. Satan's roaming around when we're sleeping, roaming around our families, acting all cool, looking for how he can bring destruction, and he's on the attack, so we need to be watchful. We need to be prayerful. We need to be praying over our families and praying over our church and believers, that praying seriously, but also loving fervently, that God would fill us up to be able to love fervently. Is there someone's sin that you need to cover? Aren't you thankful for those that cover your sin? Aren't you thankful for those in your life that didn't expose you, but talked to you personally, prayed for you, were part of the solution instead of part of the problem? Choose to love fervently. Choose to cover a multitude of sins, 
Remember, if we're merciful, God is merciful to us. But then also to share joyfully. This is not a time for us as believers to hoard all the resources. Now, you know, I got mine. Right? It's a time to share. It's a time to share hospitably. The church historically has been great at this. At hard times, it's the church that's going out to meet needs. It's the church that's expressing the love of Christ. It's the church that is caring for one another. This is a great time to give, to give hilariously and joyfully as the Lord puts it on on your heart. But then to serve effectively. God's given you gifts. He really has. And he's given you grace to be able to use those gifts. Get into the one another thing. Get into a small group. Pray about, man, is there five believers that I can call this week? Is there five believers that I can text this week? I haven't seen them for a while. I haven't heard from them for a while. I wonder what's going on in their life. I want to minister to them. Allow the Lord to put that into our hearts to serve effectively. Because the end is near. We're racing towards the finish line. We only got one life to live. Might as well go for it. Amen? All right, let's pray together. Oh, Father, we long for the end. We long for the day that we're with you where things are redeemed, where things are in their rightful place, no more broken with sin, no longer suffering. And God, you know how difficult it is to endure suffering in this life. But Jesus, you chose to suffer. And Father, you are the ultimate comforter. So God, would you help us to really redeem the time that we have? Would you give us a glimpse of the joy that is set before us, that before we know it, we're gonna be with you. The church is gonna get raptured. We're gonna forever be with the Lord. Jesus, we know how this ends, and it ends with your return, with you ruling and reigning. But we also know in the time that we have, there's a job to do. We pray many people will come to know you. We're asking by your grace and your mercy that there would be a spiritual revival, that there would be awakening. Lord, throughout the world, as people are suffering, that we would turn to you and there would be a move of salvation. We know that that's your heart, is to bring people unto yourself. So God, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.